Sunday. Um, anybody, I have a, a good friend who I touched base with again at Apostolic Conference. If uh, you like um, apostolic rap or hip-hop, he has these um, cards. You may, that may not be your fancy. You may not even know that that exists. But he is a very talented artist, and he puts the Word of God in his songs. He doesn't shy away from the truth. He preaches the whole truth in his his uh, songs. So if you're interested after church, I can give you one of these. It has his website and uh, information to hear some of his music, and it's very good music. Amen. God is good today. Amen. Amen. We're going to turn to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 and read one verse of scripture there. Uh, again, um, I was thankful for this picnic yesterday. We had a great time and uh, really enjoyed everyone contributing to that. Amen. A lot of good things happening. We're just getting to a couple weeks till school starts, so a lot of traveling these last couple weeks, but that's okay. We want people to enjoy time with their family and uh, make memories together because kids grow up too fast. And uh, so take time to be with your families, and uh, we're thankful for all who are here today. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 23 says, But we preach... Christ crucified. Unto the Jews, this is a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks, it is foolishness. We preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews, a stumbling block, and unto Greeks, it's foolishness. We're in, in the middle of uh, 21 days of consecration, and so today it felt like the Lord led me to speak about this, and it's the paradox of the gospel. The paradox of of the gospel. Amen. Let's pray one more time that we'll receive the word today. Amen. Lord Jesus, your word needs no prayer. Your word is forever settled in heaven. Your word gives life, not just here, but it gives eternal life. And that's why we turn to it now, because with all the information in this information age, there is nothing more important than your word. Nothing else can save us like your word can. Nothing else can point us to life with joy and peace and contentment like your word can. So we're going to spend the next few minutes in your word, Lord, and as we discuss this topic today, the paradox of the gospel, mentioning things that don't at first seem to make sense to our human understanding, but if we will test it, if we will try it, if we'll taste and see, we'll find that the Lord is good. We'll find that you never lie, but you always tell us truth. And even if it doesn't make sense, we can trust you today. Help us to forsake our own understanding and acknowledge you in all of our ways, because as we do so, you'll lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. You'll lead us not only to abundance here, but to an eternal life with you in heaven. Lord, we need the understanding of your word today. I'm thankful for even the presence that's sweeping even, even now as we pray, Lord, every distraction, let it be set aside. Every pursuit, let it be forgotten about for the next few moments. Help us to, to focus our minds. I know we, we have a hard time because of our attention span. It's so short. But help us to train our minds to focus on your word the next little while, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In Jesus' name. You can be seated today promise you'll try not to fall asleep if not just stay standing that'll help <laughs> a 
I know it's a little warm. I'm conscious of that. Amen. So I'll try to not bore you too much today. Amen. When Paul came to preach in Corinth, he did not come with the wisdom of words or cleverness of speaking. Paul came speaking plainly without any attempt to dazzle with eloquence or intellect. Paul came to Corinth from Athens where he had contended with the great philosophers of that day in terms they could understand. In Acts 17, Paul was disappointed with their response to the gospel. It says in 1732, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. And others said, we will hear thee again on this, of this matter. So Paul departed from among them. Paul said, if you aren't going to listen, I'm going to find some people that will. Because they had a trust in their human understanding that he could not break through. They heard about the resurrection of the dead and they mocked. We're not the only ones who people mock the gospel when we tell them. As a result, Paul came to Athens, a place, or from Athens to Corinth, a place of open wickedness, with a renewed passion to preach the gospel plainly and in power and demonstration of the Holy Ghost. That's one reason why we are pursuing the gifts of the Spirit, signs and wonders, because people need to see demonstration. People don't need more intellectual philosophy. They need demonstration and power. They don't need someone who has another good idea. They need the power of God. And that's why we read in 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul's boldness and his plain speaking, his argument about the paradox of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. The cross is not going to make sense to everyone. People are going to think it's absolutely foolish to preach the cross. Sometimes we get removed from what the cross meant. It would be similar to saying we preach the electric chair. We preach uh, what would be the lethal injection. It's foolishness to the carnal mind. Dying is not something we put high on the priority list. At least I don't. That seemed like I might be the only one today. So you're wishing you were dead or somewhere else. It's okay. It's okay. Probably just the heat, but I got to tease you a little. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. To us, it's exciting. To us, it's awesome. But to them, it's foolishness. For it is written, verse 19, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will bring to nothing the understanding of of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? I can sense Paul's frustration. Obviously, he's being inspired by the Holy Spirit to say these things, but I think he's frustrated in people's lack of response because they were more wise than the gospel. They were too smart for the gospel. Verse 21 he says for after that in the wisdom of God the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believed. 
The world through wisdom did not know God. That is through human understanding alone. The world doesn't come to know God through human ability. The world comes to know God by revelation. And revelation comes as we humble ourselves and we seek his face. It's not about our level of intelligence or IQ today. It's about our ability to humble ourselves and ask. If you don't know God, it's probably because you're not asking. It's that simple. He's not a respecter of persons. You're not asking. Humble yourself and ask. The temptation is to look to our intellect and trust in it, especially if we are very gifted in this area. One day in Albert Einstein's class, he was talking to his students, and we know Einstein was very gifted. His students probably were too. But Einstein believed in God. He said to his students, how much of all the knowledge in the world do you think you have amongst yourselves? They're arguing God doesn't exist. So he says, how much do you think of all the knowledge in the world you have? And they said, 5%. They thought they knew 5% of everything in the world. Now that's a pretty high number, really, if you think about it. Because there's a lot of knowledge in the world, right? And the universe... We're finding out more and more and more about what we don't know. And I always like people that are experts on everything. Right? They're so convinced they can talk to you like they know exactly what they're talking about. They know better than everybody. That's a side point. I'm not going to chase that rabbit. But 5% of all human knowledge they figured they had in Einstein said, so do you think maybe... I'll allow you 5%, although it's generous. But do you think it's possible that the God you claim does not exist exists within the 95% that you don't know? For all those people who think they know everything or they know a whole lot, there is so much they don't know. And it just might be that God is part of what they don't know. But it takes humility to admit that. Who wants to admit they don't know? We all want to act like we know, if, even if we don't know, right? Again, I could chase so many rabbits right now, but I'm holding on. <laughs> Verse 22 says, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. The Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks its foolishness. In the New Living Translation, we're going to read these verses again here. Verse 22 says, It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven. They want everything to be confirmed with a sign from heaven. And it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. The Jews are offended. They're offended by the preaching of the cross because they expected Jesus to give them an earthly kingdom. Right? Jesus, overthrow the Romans, make us rule and reign. Lord, I'm not going to follow you unless I become a ruler in this world. They expected a, a second exodus, but on a greater level. 
So it offended them. But John 18, 36, when he stood before Pilate, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Or in other words, my kingdom is not here. I'm allowing this to take place because my kingdom is not of this world. It's a spiritual kingdom. So those who are looking for only victory in the flesh are going to be mystified. They're going to miss the point. And to the Gentiles, it's all nonsense. They wanted wisdom again, human understanding, high academics, philosophy. And there's nothing wrong with a higher education, but when we get to a place of greater education and we decide God is not as smart as we are, that's when there's a problem. Going to college is not a problem, but if going to college causes you to reject God's word, there's a problem. You can have more degrees of the thermometer if you want to, but you better still believe the Bible. It doesn't matter how many people say the gospel is foolish. It's not foolish. It's just foolish to them. Verse 24 says, But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So those who are called, those who respond to the calling of God, whether they're Jews or Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The message of the gospel is a paradox. Okay, A paradox is simply something that seems absurd or self-contradictory. But when you look into it and you investigate it, it actually proves to be true. The kingdom of God is full of these things. There's many paradoxes in Christianity. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, or excuse me, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This doesn't mean we can't attain understanding. It just means if we try to seek our own understanding will be far below God's understanding. But if we seek Him, He will lift us up to sit with Him in heavenly places. He will speak to us. He will reveal Himself. But we have to trust Him more than this. You know where the greatest battle in the world is? It's not the guy with the pitchfork. It's not the devil. It's not a demon. It's right here between my ears. Am I going to trust this or am I going to trust him? A man named Henry Clay Trumbull wrote a book, an entire book on this subject. He called it Practical Paradoxes or Truth and Contradictions. He said in his introduction, the law of the Christian life is a paradox. It's made up of seeming contradictions. All its teachings are contrary to the common opinions of man. So again, don't expect it to make sense to unbelievers. 
well, nobody else thinks this makes sense. I must be weird. Stop following Christ. No, don't do that. According to this law, he says, giving is getting. Scattering is gaining. Holding is losing. Having nothing is possessing all things. Dying is living. He who is weak is strong. Happiness is found when you no longer seek for it. The clearest sight is of the invisible. And things which are not bring to not things which are. A few more paradoxes. Richard Hansen lists, and these I've listed on the overhead. But it says, we conquer by yielding. Victory comes through surrender. In the world, you do this to your enemy, I give up, you lose. In church, you raise your hands, I give up, you win. Doesn't make sense. But it's the way to win. So you wonder why people raise their hands, because I'm saying, I give up, I surrender, Jesus. Because I want to overcome. I can't overcome on my own. We find rest under a yoke. The Lord says, take my yoke upon you, right? That means he's along next to us and he's going to bear the burden with us. Coming under a yoke brings us rest. We reign by serving. Again, the Gentiles, they're constantly climbing on top of each other to get to the top of the ladder. Stepping on whoever they got to step on. Bible says you don't do that. You rule by serving. The greatest among you is the greatest servant among you. In the world, the guy at the airport shining the shoes is not considered the greatest. But the only one who serves in the kingdom of God and washes someone's feet is the greatest. We are made great by becoming small. Who in the world came up with this stuff? Exactly. Man doesn't come up with this. We want to become great. We try to be big. We try to be strong. We try to push everybody else down and make them smaller than us. But when we come to the Lord and we understand we don't have to make anybody else less to become, to become big. We actually become small, make ourselves less. And as we exalt others, it makes us greater. Doesn't make sense. We are exalted when we are humble. We are exalted when we're humble. Again, the loudest, the boldest, the brashest in the world get the notoriety and the acclaim. The ones who buck the trend and the ones who stand up proud often get the limelight. But in the kingdom of God to be exalted, we are to humble ourselves. We become wise by being fools for Christ's sake. By not worrying if somebody thinks we are a fool for the way we live. Foolish living, people will say, as you dedicate yourself to the Lord. It won't make sense. You don't go there. You don't do that. You don't talk that way. What's wrong with you? You're foolish. But in that foolishness, we gain wisdom because we're not doing things that destroy us. We are made free by becoming bond servants. 
By becoming slaves of Jesus Christ, we experience greater freedom than when we're supposedly free to do whatever we want. When we use liberty as an occasion to the flesh, we find ourselves in greater bondage. But when we come, become slaves to Christ, we find a freedom that we've never had before where we can say no to things that are bad. We can say no when we're not supposed to do something. That comes through God's grace. People say, I'm free to do whatever I want. Follow them around and see how many things they do they don't want to do. You're going to find some stuff they don't want to do that they do. They're slaves to something. We gain strength when we are weak. When we finally come to the Lord and say, I'm nothing. I can't do this. When we confide in one another as a body of Christ, pray for me. I need help. We find strength. The world despises weakness. The world pushes away weakness. The world makes fun of people who are claim to be weak, but the body of Christ and Jesus himself say, come and let me embrace you. I'll never make fun of your weakness. We triumph through defeat. Even though it seems like the enemy is defeating us in this world, we are actually winning every day we are walking with Christ. He always causes us to triumph. We find victory by glorifying in our infirmities, our struggles. We live by dying. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6, 8 through 10, the English Standard Version, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as imposters yet are true. A paradox. People treat us like we're fake, but we're actually sincere. Verse 9 says, as unknown, and yet we are well-known. Unknown to most of the world, but well-known to the most important one. As dying, and behold, we live. As punished, and yet not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. 2 Corinthians 12.10, Paul says, Another paradoxical statement. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. I'm okay with these things. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Because it helps me trust in him. Jesus began his ministry with some paradoxes we call the Beatitudes. A few of them, Matthew 5, 3 through 5. Blessed are the poor. And spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. That doesn't make sense. Matthew 10, 39 says, He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. 
John 12, 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. These things fly in the face of human wisdom. They fly in the face of so many people trying to find happiness through pursuing the things of this life. Romans chapter 8, read a few more verses as we get ready to, to close. But Romans chapter 8, verse number 5 says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Again, this is something we have an ability to change as we submit to the Lord. We don't have to be a victim or a slave to the flesh. But if we don't turn to Christ, we will be. We'll just do the things our flesh wants to do. How many people don't eat when they're hungry? How many people eat when they're not even hungry? Are we really that hungry at midnight? We really have to go for the fourth meal. Only in America do we have a fourth meal. Because three is not enough. The things of the flesh, they drive us to do things. Those that are only of the flesh, all they do is listen to the desires of the flesh. But they that are seeking the Spirit will start doing things more that are after the Spirit. And here, again, is why we're re we have to reject our human understanding. To be carnally minded is death. If we just follow what we think is a good idea without seeking God's input, we will lead to death. The Bible says, that I didn't put the verse down, but there's a way that seems right to a man. But the end is death. Why would people be going down this road of death if they thought it was a road of death? It's because when they started, it didn't seem like a bad road. It seemed like a good road. It seemed like the best road. They didn't wake up one day and say, I'm going to see what I can do to kill myself. Just wake up and all happy-go-lucky, I'm depressed. I'm going to be depressed today. There's a road that leads there that doesn't seem like it in the beginning, right? And that's why we can't just look after our own thinking. If we go by our own thinking, it leads to death. But to be spiritually minded, to seek God's will, is life. In peace. Life in peace. If people could buy peace, it would be the hottest thing on, on sale. I always say if you can put the Holy Ghost in a can and sell it in an energy drink, okay, Rockstar would be out of business. Starbucks even would be out of business. Because the feeling of peace that comes in his presence is irreplaceable, yet if we're not careful, we go after other things. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, or it's an enemy with God. 
For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Hey, we don't have to teach our kids to lie. Anybody ever had to teach your kids to lie? Anybody have to teach your kids to hit one another? They do that naturally, right? That's default. You have to teach them not to, right? And we are the same. Our flesh rejects God unless we surrender it, unless we submit it. It doesn't naturally do good. That's why sometimes we have sayings that don't make sense. This is a paradox that doesn't make sense. I have a good heart. No. The Bible says the heart is exceedingly wicked or desperately wicked. Who can know it? Without God, I am just a sinner. It's not my righteousness. So that they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Can't please Him in our flesh because we're not going to do the right thing. And that's why we've set aside some time, 21 days of consecration. Because we're asking God to help us overcome our thinking. Because again, my greatest enemy is me. (laughs) I can blame the devil. I can blame everybody else in my life and say, well, if they were nice to me, I wouldn't wouldn't get all mad and break their windows. I wouldn't slash their tires if they were nice. We excuse whatever behavior by, well, they were nice. They didn't make me so mad. I wouldn't get so mad at them. We got to own it. We got to accept responsibility. They were literally crucifying Jesus. He stood there quietly because he was not in the flesh, in his mind. He was thinking about the Spirit the eternal purpose of God in that moment. Our human wisdom and understanding has to be subjected to God's wisdom. That's why we have to read the Bible. That's why we have to pray. That's again why a couple weeks ago when I went to that conference for about three days, I was repenting almost the whole time because I needed some changes. And like Jacob going to his house, and doing some spring cleaning, removing some idols that were accumulating, removing some things that were getting in the way of his relationship with God. We have to take inventory of our lives to see what's there. Because if God's not flowing through me in a powerful way, he's not the problem. Right? God didn't somehow mess up. God didn't lose his power. It's me that's a problem. It's me. Romans 8 and 9, we'll finish on some positive note, okay? This is why we're consecrating ourselves. This is why we're dedicating time to prayer and fasting because there's a life in the Spirit God wants to give us. He talks to them as believers. He says, but you're not of the flesh. Okay, quit... Quit pursuing the flesh. You're not of the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, 
He's none of His. Without the Spirit of God, we're not His. We can say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. But if I don't have a Spirit, I'm not a Christian. And if Christ be in you, though, the body is dead because of sin. As I submit to the Spirit, those, all those old habits, all those old sinful tendencies, they don't go completely away. I have to battle them, but I get stronger. I'm able to overcome through the Spirit. Because the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And righteousness, again, is foolishness to the world. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. It doesn't matter how sideways we are in our lives away from God, he'll quicken us. Lazarus had been dead four days, and apparently he stunk. Well, it's been four days, Jesus. You came a little late to the party. Lazarus is dead. You could have you healed him four days ago, but he's dead. Jesus said, no, I can still do this. The point is, if it doesn't matter where you're at in your life. You could feel like you're far from God, but if you'll just surrender, if you'll just respond, okay, Lazarus had to get up and walk out of the grave. Some people, God's calling them, get up, get up, and they're just laying there. For some reason, the the grave is a better place than living with God. He wants to raise us up. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Paradox. Paradox, paradox. You mean I don't do whatever I want to do and that's how I find eternal life? No. You do what he wants you to do. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Okay, he's not our shepherd if, if he's walking over there and I'm going this way. That's not my shepherd. I'm, he's only my shepherd if I follow him. Right? It makes sense. So we're not, we're not setting aside days to be legalistic and we don't fast to twist the arm of God. We don't give up things to change God's mind to do stuff for us. We, we fast and we consecrate ourselves and we give up certain things so he changes us. Fasting changes my mind, not his. His mind is made up. He knows best. It's forever settled. My mind has to change. My mind has to change. And that was the beauty of what we read as the last few verses we'll read today in Acts 2 is all these men had their mind made up about how they're living for Jesus. Well, they didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah, so that's a misstatement, how they were living for Jehovah and their understanding. They were religious men. And Peter came to them and said, oh yeah, uh, that guy you just crucified? That's God in the flesh. The God that you say you serve? He came as a man. You crucified him. 
And thankfully, by the grace of God, they finally figured out what they're doing was wrong. And they had to make a choice. Am I going to accept God's way? Or am I going to continue to live my life how I want to live it? It said they were pricked in their heart in verse 37. Said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? When we start asking God what we should do, and they're, they're asking Peter because he's God's spokesperson. We go to the word of God, what shall I do? That's when new life begins. Then Peter said unto them, Repent. Change your way of thinking. That's a main component of repentance. Yes, it's confession. Yes, it's contrition. Yes, it's feeling bad about your sins, but it's changing your mind. Not thinking about everything the same way anymore. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Does it make a whole lot of sense that you get baptized in ordinary water and your sins are washed away? Does that make a lot of sense to the carnal mind? No, it doesn't. We have to accept it as true, whether it makes sense or not. That is the way to have our sins washed away in water in the name of Jesus Christ. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Get this experience they just had in the upper room. Peter says, this promise is unto you, to your children, to all that are far off, even as me as the Lord God shall call. This promise is for everybody. Okay, and it didn't make a lot of sense, obviously, the way they're behaving, because they thought they were drunk. These people must be drunk. They're staggering out of the upper room, speaking in different languages. They must be drunk. Human understanding. Some people will come to our church. They'll feel the power of God. They'll be changed. They'll be saved. Some people will come to our church and they'll say, Whoo, what's going on here? These guys tapped into some, some, they got something around here they're drinking that's pretty weird. Because it's not going to make sense to the carnal mind. And I believe God does it on purpose so that we have to forsake our understanding. It's speaking in tongues is something that certainly is a paradox. Right? It doesn't make sense. I mean, you speak in an unknown language. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. No, it doesn't. Most people think it's just a bunch of gibberish. Right? You ask philosophy teachers, you ask other people, that doesn't make sense. Because God's kingdom is full of things that don't make sense to the wise and the prudent. Because we have to forsake flesh. We have to forsake flesh. But when you embrace the Spirit, you find more joy, more peace, more comfort than you've ever known before. I didn't have victory in my life till I was filled with the Spirit. So if you don't mind joining us the next few days, and you can stand today if you'd like. 
But all we're doing, again, is setting aside, we have 14 days left of consecration counting today, where we're just simply saying, God, change my mind. Because God wants to speak to all of us. God doesn't just pick certain people and say, I'll speak to you because you are a licensed minister of a United Pentecostal church and you have approval of men. Nope. He talks to everyone who says, Lord, I need to know you more. I, I can't figure this out. I don't know how I'm going to do this. What do you want me to do? It's that simple. Sometimes we'll say, teach me to pray. How do I pray? And that's okay, because sometimes we need to learn how to pray better. But the most foundational praying, and God hears, is just, Lord, I love you today. I need you. I'm lost without you. I'm undone without you. And God begins to speak to us. Because again, his word is not understood through IQ. Through a Bible college education, his word is understood through opening it with humility and saying, God, show me what your word says. And God will speak. I guarantee God will come alive to you. But you have to make the choice to say, Lord, I'm not trusting in my flesh. I'm trusting in you. I'm going to forsake my understanding. And I'm going to turn to you. If your life's working and you're perfect without, without it, I don't know what to say. <laughs> All I know is it didn't work for me. Okay? I, it didn't work for me. I supposedly was being successful in the world and it wasn't working. God said every success you have will feel just as empty as the last one you had. Because when the lights go out, everything goes away. I don't know why I'm just sharing a little bit today and we're going to pray. But I just thought if I could be a starting quarterback in high school, I'd be happy. If I could just be the starting quarterback, I'm going to be so happy. Because so I go watch the games in junior high, and man, that's so awesome. They'd stand there, and the steam would be coming out of their helmets while they're huddled up, and just like, wow, that's awesome. Man, if I could just be the quarterback, I'm going to be happy. And I spent hours and hours training and getting myself ready because I wasn't the most gifted guy athletically. I, was, I had to work hard. And then I got to be the starting quarterback, and after the game, go home, lay down in bed, everything's quiet. It just wasn't what I thought it was going to be. It wasn't close. Why is it that so many athletes, entertainers, are drowning themselves in drugs and alcohol and being found dead and Elvis Presley, one of the greatest singers ever, found dead in the bathroom, overdosed. Why? Because it's not in the fame and the fortune and the things that we think are going to bring happiness. It's not in the money. It's not in all those things, even though that's what so many people are seeking for. But the ones who achieve it are the ones who really know it's not all it's cracked up to be. For the millions who want to be professional athletes, it seems like the greatest dream. But the ones who are there know it just doesn't satisfy everything. Because only Jesus can satisfy. Only Jesus. And I have never yet heard someone get the Holy Ghost who said, I regret getting the Holy Ghost. I've never heard someone who really got it say, walk away and say, you know what, that was a waste of time. 
There's joy. There's peace. There's comfort. Amen. It's found in Him. It's found in Him. So we're going to just take a couple minutes today if you want to and just talk to the Lord and say, Lord, I just want to take time the next few days. It's not about being just a religious person. It's not about just trying to punch my ticket to make it to heaven. It's about being closer to you, Jesus. There's something in me that hungers and thirsts for more, and I don't know how to fill it. You're the answer for the void in my life. You're the one that I need today, Jesus. You're the one that I need. Amen. If you need more, he's here to give you more today. If you're satisfied and you're filled, then pray for someone that you know that needs him. Pray for someone who's hurting today that you know, a family member who keeps falling in sin over and over and over again, rather than judging them, rather than looking down on them, rather than saying, what's wrong with them? Let's pray for them. Let's seek God for them. If during this 21 days you're close to God, you don't need to be closer, pray for somebody else. Did God save them? God, show yourself alive to them because they need you. today. He's the answer to all of our problems. It sounds like a cliche, but it's true. Jesus is the answer today. Amen. If you're frustrated with your life, if you want, if you feel like you're missing something, just reach out to Jesus today. Don't worry about anybody else. Just begin to reach out to him. If you're, if you have the boldness to do it, just lift your hands and say, Lord, I'm here. Amen. We don't need to be looking about, about anybody else right now. It's just focus on God ourselves. And just say, God, I need you, Jesus. And God's here. He's not going to reject you. He's not going to turn you away. He's here. He's here. Amen. As Christian sings, we're just going to talk to him for a few minutes. Amen. The power of God is here. He wants to fill your life today wants to give you peace today. Amen. If you just call out to him. There's nothing to do.